Welcome back to the recap. We're here with Daniel Sukup. Daniel, welcome. Thank you. Daniel preached on Genesis 6 this last week. He did a wonderful job. He, he did. Faithful sermon, brother. We're going to dig into a little bit. Nick has a comment he wanted to share about the intro music you just heard. I just think it's really good. It, as they say, slaps. <laughs> or claps. Is it slaps or claps? Slaps. Mm. I guess I'm just not up to date on the on the local lingo or something no, like that. It's not local. Ethan, good job in finding that. We did not pay a dime for that for those that have been asking. Well done. So that was something that we... I don't remember where it came from, but it wasn't like we paid for it specifically. Daniel, is God glad, glad, glad? Yes. God is he is... also mad, mad, mad? Yes. Is man bad, bad, bad? Yes. And in Genesis 5, does man have lots of lad, lad, lads? He does. Oh my he, does. he does have okay. lots of lads. And by the time Matthew 1 rolls around, do we find out that Jesus is rad, rad, rad? Yeah, you could say that. That would be one way to say it. <laughs> so uh, rhetorical devices and sermons. Well, yeah, I just, I was struck in your sermon when you use that alliteration that I'm going to remember that for a very long time. And so just wanted to hear what you guys think. What is the value of using rhetorical devices like that in the sermon? I mean, obviously the spirit has to do the work by the yeah. power of the word, you know, but I think that there's some value in things like that. And obviously you think there's some value, right? Because he used it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't always had a high opinion of rhetorical devices in sermons. Um, obviously I don't think they're worthless because I used them. Um yeah, I, f I felt like like it came out of the text, so maybe maybe I felt like I was cheating a little bit. Um, but that was a really good observation, the the repeating three times of all those things. And yeah, it's going to stick in my head. Yeah, it's right there on the surface of the text. Um, Daniel Sukup, not Nick Rowan, but Daniel, what do you think of Dave Zuliger's propensity to alliterate continuously in his outlines? I think it's a bit of a stretch at points, like the word itinerary. <laughs> yes, I remember that one. <laughs> generally, generally, I think he does a really good job. Just itinerary made me go, yeah. <laughs> uh, bit of a stretch, bit of a stretch. Yeah, you know. <clears throat> so is Genesis 6 about the gospel, Daniel? I think it is. Okay. I think you uh, unpacked that from the text. There's a handful of exegetical things that we thought were interesting as we were going through. Nick, what were some of the questions you had? What are some of the thoughts you had? Well, you didn't go into it a lot in the sermon, but we were talking beforehand and you mentioned that you are have become convinced that the uh, sons of God, uh, the angels, which you, you made the case for that, are different than the Nephilim. Um, so you just maybe expound on that just a little bit, maybe what tipped you over the exegetical cliff, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Um, Peter Gentry had a little piece on SBTS's YouTube page um, where he was explaining this passage, and he pointed out that the Nephilim are never actually identified mm -hmm. with the sons of God, and they're actually identified as contemporaneous uh, at the same time. So the Nephilim were on the earth when the sons of God mm -hmm. came into the daughters of men, and, and they bore children to them. So at the time that this is happening, the Nephilim are on the earth. And then mm -hmm. he explains who they are, uh, the mighty men, old men, men of renown. Uh, Gentry takes that as a polemic against semi-divine heroes in ancient Near Eastern hmm. myths. Um, and I've always, I've always taken Nephilim as 
the offspring of angels and men. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I could never quite get all the way there because I didn't feel like the Nephilim were actually identified. And so yeah. Gentry kind of gave me permission to say, no, that, that seems, the text doesn't seem to bear that out. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I, I appreciated the way that you attacked that, uh, in the text, in the sermon, because there's speculation on what that is. Right. And, yeah. But the point is that whatever was going on, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that, I mean, I think that that was a, just the right way to draw that out. Like, you know, whatever's going on here, whether they're the offspring or whether they're different or whatever's, you know, if they're angels or not, this is not natural. This is not right. And it's a sign of how bad things have gotten, not yeah. too far removed from Eden. So I thought that was great. Yeah. And then you went to Second Peter. You mentioned at least Second Peter and Jude. You know, which parallels the sensuality of heretics or of false prophets with uh, sexual immorality or just um, angels did, did not keep their place, mm-hmm. but in some sense were rebellious, which the church has historically taken to mean the interpretation that you expounded on, uh, on Sunday. So uh, whatever was going on, bad, bad, bad. Angels are bad, bad, bad. <laughs> People are bad, bad, bad. And... Uh, yeah, you John Piper up. is bad. Bad, bad, yes. bad. It's true. It's true. <laughs> to to um, reference the uh, the sermon jam with Michael Jackson. Yes. So the uh, <laughs> yeah, you can look that up. John Piper is bad on YouTube and uh, enjoy that. I refrain so, from singing. Yeah, I refrain from singing. So um, a question then about just the overall like way that this text goes. So God creates, then God is sad, sad, sad. He regrets and mad, 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 and he chooses to return the world to its chaotic, filled with water. You know, at the beginning, you know, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep, mm-hmm. and now he's returning the earth to the deep. Um, That's a great observation. Is, is, God, is God just to do this? Yes. Why? Um, because man has um, sinned against God, broken covenant with God. If, if we take... Uh, there to be a covenant in Genesis 1 through 3, which I think is pretty clear there is. Um, man's brought sin and death on himself, and God is gracious to delay judgment. So the fact that immediate physical judgment didn't fall at the fall is a sign of God's gracious um, graciousness in waiting. Yeah. So the two lines that we see in Genesis three and four, um, coming out from Canaan, coming out from, or coming out from uh, Cain, coming out from Seth, by the time Genesis six rolls around, um, we see apparently corruption has reigned over both, with the exception of one descendant, Noah, yeah, and his and his offspring. Other observations from the text or questions from the text, Nick? Um, yeah, I just, I appreciated the way that you brought out um, God or Noah finding favor in God's eyes um, in not only just God's electing, you know, Noah, mm-hmm. but in his, he was, a, he was seeking to walk righteous, righteously. You know, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So that was a great par- parallel to Enoch. Um, and I'm wondering, so in this text, is there a way, and this is a question maybe for both of you. I don't know if you've thought about this, but a question that 
came to my <laughs> mind. In this text, is there a way to show that this isn't just works righteousness, but that it's actually Noah exercising faith in God? Um, you know, or is that does that take the rest of the witness of Scripture? You know, like the Hall of Faith. Is this a leading question? No. Do you have an answer? No, I no, don't. Okay. I'm literally right. legitimately just curious. Like so, just reading this, could we say Noah was doing these works by faith and therefore was counted as righteous? Or does it just seem like he was doing good things and therefore God saved him? Do you, do you get the question? Yeah. It yeah. just kind of came up in my head. I I, th- I think there's, there's definitely pointers, at least, um, linking Noah back with... Um, with Enoch mm-hmm. uh, is is a big one, and I think the the sweeping condemnation of man's sin in verse five, um, Noah is set up as distinct from his generation, but later in chapter nine mm-hmm. he is clearly not acting righteously. Right, um, and so I th- I think we we are supposed to see. He, he is fallen, he is sinful, but he's walking with God. Um, the Septuagint takes walking with God as pleased God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's he, he has to be trusting in the same promises right. that the rest of the line is. He's looking forward to the one who is going to ultimately take care of sin and death. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. yeah, so if you look at Adam and Eve before the fall, they walked with God, mm-hmm. cool of the day. So there's fellowship that's unbroken, and then Enoch walked with God, and then again two verses later in chapter five walked with God, and he was not for God took him, and now we have another Noah who walked with God. Right. I think that's an expression of faith and faithfulness that there was a way in which Noah had a relationship with God that was different than all of his peers, and that was borne out in God spoke. So we talked about uh, when I preached in Genesis two, Dave talked about this for sure. When God's word governs his people, God's people either live or die by his word. Mm-hmm. And Noah clearly saw this is where life is. Mm-hmm. I have to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I have to by faith build this ark. Yep. You know, like the, like the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 11. Right. Yeah. So that, that parallel walking with God is clearly very important. Yeah. So great. great. Awesome. Great. Any other quick observations here? There was one, one direction I didn't go with the sermon, uh, for the sake of space and time was, um, when God says all flesh is corrupted, um, all flesh almost universally refers to every living, breathing, moving thing. Mm. Um, and so there's there's a sense in which from heaven down to earth, everything, angels, men, animals, have all become corrupted and violent. And later in chapter 9, when God's reinstituting creation, he protects man by saying, I will put the fear of you in all animals. And so just as a, like an asterisk next to bad, 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 like it's even worse. Man's sin is, is infecting mm-hmm. all of creation and God has to kind of take Strain. care of all of yeah. creation yeah. and bring it back. Yeah. Okay. Good. Daniel, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's great, man. Thank you. Thank you.